If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So hey everyone, welcome to Between the Soup, the show where friends become closer friends, and the show where I talk to people about experience that is unique to them. I'm not on Twitter, but you can follow the podcast Instagram at betweenthesoup.pod, where I'll post updates on episodes and behind-the-scenes content. I'm your host, Gilbert, and today we are joined by Gurkharan Chotala. Gurkharan currently works as a healthcare consultant in the Informax department at Mercer. In his free time, some of the many hobbies that he enjoys are writing poetry, rapping, hiking, and watching movies. Uh, I'm glad that you could, or that you were flexible enough to work around the scheduling changes. Also, uh, work around like the the technical difficulties <laughs> before he started uh, recording. But I'm happy to have you here, and happy that you were uh, so down to reconnect. So welcome to Between the Soup. Thank you. It's happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before we were recording, we were talking about just knowing cool people like oh no 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 we were talking about uh just being nervous in front of a yeah in, in, in yes, front of a mic yep. okay uh yeah i mean I, I was i was telling you that like at the very first time that i did this like i was super nervous and um it's like it's easy for me to be like oh yeah it's easy just don't think about it as like you're on a stage there's people watching you it's just like we're we're, we're just talking. talking yeah we're just yeah. talking which is like it's true but at the same time that doesn't negate the fact that you can still feel nervous or like uncomfortable a little bit or like out of your comfort zone or maybe like maybe like a little bit anxious well there's like a lot of things at play right like it's like i'm doing this for the first time Mm -hmm. i'm meeting gilbert sanchez for the first time in years (laughs) i mean you know what i mean like it it, well i mean it's just different dimensions elements i don't know what the right word is it's just like a different experience altogether. yeah yeah Exactly. Especially because you don't really know what to expect. That's been another kind of thing that I've been noticing, too, is like, I mean, I think a big goal of of this podcast is to get to reconnect with people, too. Mm. Um, Just because I think in I forget when I repeat stories. So this might happen all the time. And I just I just don't know. There's been (laughs) there's been a lot. But um, so like uh, one of the the reasons why I wanted to start this is because like during covid um, when everybody was in quarantine and like 
didn't really have like social connection and started seeing like how important that was just to be around other people or talk to other people or just have something like you, you didn't want to necessarily be trapped by yourself. Um, I initially thought of doing this as like a, just an excuse to talk to people or, or reach out. Um, because there's there's so much about people's lives that you probably are curious about at some on mm-hmm. some level, and it's like it's easier, I think, in my mind to be like, hey, do you want to come on, be a guest on my podcast to talk about it? Versus like, if I if I were to just, I guess, cold reach out to you and be like, hey, tell me about your life, that'd be a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, I guess it's not like socially as um, accepted, perhaps, right. yeah. or, or in the eyes of most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But uh, can you give me like a, a very quick life summary of what you've been up to since high school? Or sure, yeah, we could we could do that, or just whatever in, you want to. How a life summary? <laughs> yeah, life summary. As I interpret it, okay. My parents immigrated from India um, in the 80s, and I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. I grew up in like a Sikh household, so you know, I I had a turban, and I think that that kind of just sets up the frame for a lot of my life, so I like starting with that. I was always like pretty good in school, didn't really get in much trouble, but then in high school, got involved with speech and debate. I was, I was really good. I went to nationals twice. I, I got fifth in the nation in one of my events. There was a drug topic. Uh, there was, you know, should drugs be legal? Mm-hmm. And I researched drugs for two months. That sort of opened my mind, the floodgates to weed and drinking. I remember smoking and, and drinking pretty shortly after that drugs topic. This and is while we were at Brophy? This was while we were at Brophy. This was sophomore year. Okay. Became really obsessed with money for a while, I would say. I ended up getting a job at like a consulting firm and moving to San Francisco after school. Religion played a huge role in parallel with like the drug themes and kind of the money theme. Okay. Um, I started asking questions around, you know, when I was 11 or 12, my parents couldn't answer. I didn't understand why I wore a turban. I kind of just was doing all these things. And I, I thought that I really didn't fit in. I thought, you know, a girl will never like me because like I, I look different. I have a neck beard in eighth grade, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. And I think I, that's kind of where self-image issues stem from. That's when drugs really started escalating. When you combine all of these things, right, you you feel isolated because you don't fit in. You, you don't have a family or a religion because they don't accept you for who you are. You start doing a ton of drugs. You start chasing money. You go to San Francisco alone with a, a six plus, a six figure plus job. It was it was a recipe for disaster. And I remember in October, November of, of 2017, I was like suicidally depressed. I maxed out my cards. In fact, I, I spent like $20,000 in one night and was gonna jump off a bridge the next day. And I couldn't ultimately, why I didn't was, uh, I couldn't do that to my mom and I was scared of dying. So that was kind of like the inflection point in my journey. I don't know if inflection point's the right word, the pivot, uh, whatever. Moment of clarity is what they say in AA, where, where I knew things had to change. And um, yeah, that kind of sets the stage, I think, for where I'm at now. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing that in the first place. That's yeah. not, never like an easy thing to, to talk about. Um, I think the, the biggest reason why I, I felt compelled to reach out to you um, over Instagram to have you on the podcast is because I'm mostly really interested in like how you're creating a, a creative identity now. Mm. I think an important part of developing that identity is sort of 
tracing back like where you came from and like what sort of brought you to where you are today. I guess just to, to start, so you mentioned being sort of unsure about like where you fit in or like what your identity was and having religion being sort of like a, a pressure point for, for you moving into a drug addiction. How else do you see that the, the addiction developed over time? Like what was sort of the catalyst of you seeking out? It's always wanting more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, it, we live in a culture of more, of, of just excess. Mm-hmm. And like... That's a part of me, you know? Like, I I remember when I was, like, five or six years old, I was at, like, Peter Piper Pizza or something, and, and one of my uncles was asking me, like, why are you spending all your tokens on, like... I don't know if you remember the, the game where you hit the button and the light stops in the center. Yeah. Uh, I loved that game because, mm-hmm. you know, it, would, it was the highest ticket return for, for me. Yeah. And... Um, he was like, why, why don't you go, like, play basketball or something or, you know, go on the roller coaster or something? And, and I was like, I just want more tickets. Mm-hmm. And um, I really think that I, I have an addictive personality. I, I, I have an obsessive, you know, like, when I want something, I will I'll often work tirelessly to get it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's pros and cons to everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's, you can, depends on how you slice it. I, I do identify as an optimist. I try to see silver linings and things, and, and I'm grateful for for a lot of for all of who I am, or at least I, I try to be grateful for all of who I am. And <laughs> yeah. that is kind of all of it. Just lent itself perfectly to to having a curious mind, you know, high functioning enough to get through high school and college, high as fuck, and uh, <laughs> you know, like. Uh-huh. That's, okay, a quick caveat to like the the spinning light story game. Mm-hmm. I remember one one year. Um, because I used to be good friends with Nick Kush in, in grade school also. Um, so I remember one year for his birthday party, his um, his family took me and a bunch of our other guy friends to um, GameWorks, mm-hmm. if, you, if you remember. I that. remember GameWorks. And they had they had one of those. They had one of those spinny light things, and you're completely right. It had the biggest ticket return. So we, we essentially came up with the idea that... I actually think that there were multiple of them. There mm-hmm. were like two or three of those light things. And so we all came up with the idea like... All right, so there's like this little gun at the at the prize stand where it's like it just shoots air, but the air pushes out like a, a plastic ball, so and it goes pretty fast. So we were like, okay, we're just gonna get everyone we have, uh, set it up at these like different light things, and like try to farm as many tickets as we could, so that way each of us could get one of those plastic guns, and then when we got back to his house, we would have like a, a little war. And we we ended up doing that. We we bought all like everybody got like a little plastic gun with like the the balls. And then when we got back to his house, like a few hours later, we we just like spent the rest of the night just like shooting each other. That's such a nice memory. Yeah. <laughs> Strategic. It yeah, it, re- it really was. But it's like I, I don't know. That's I think it's interesting. Like I don't. That's just what it, that reminded me of. Mm. Um, Okay, I guess to be a little bit more more concrete, when was like the first time that you did drugs? How about that? I was 16, sophomore year of high school. It was just winter break. I remember I, uh, I, I drank first. I was at a friend's house and me and another friend, uh, you actually know the person, but I don't want to name names. That's fine. Uh, like, uh, we... We uh, 
we like stole some some fresca no not fresca that's the soda bottle we 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 stole some mike's hard lemonades Mm -hmm. and we put them in fresca cans and then we were like drinking while we were playing xbox or something like that and i remember like shotgunning a beer in their back they had like a fairly large house so it was like easy to go hide at different places and like get drunk okay that was the first time i drank and then two weeks after that i remember um smoking weed uh with the same friend uh behind a school out of a pipe are you still friends with this person oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) cool Uh, i I mean i don't these memories are like i cherish these memories you know like mm -hmm. at the beginning like the smoking and drinking it was fun you know there was no downside really it was Mm -hmm. Uh, it escalated later, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the story you hear, right? Gateway drug fucking, like... Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, to go along with that point, too, when did you sort of notice that it was that it was escalating? Like, so you said in the survey that you became addicted to fentanyl. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Um, what led up to that? So, I didn't mean to get addicted to fentanyl. Right. I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I like... I, I, I really liked oxycodone. Okay. So that was my drug of choice. I, I enjoyed mixing cocaine and oxy at kind of like the height of my addiction. Okay. Um, so we're jumping around, right? Like, so this memory of smoking and drinking, I was 16. Mm-hmm. That puts us in the year 2010. I, I did nothing but smoke weed and drink from 16 to roughly like 19, 20-ish. Okay. And then around then is when I started experimenting. You know, it, it, it didn't start with cocaine and fentanyl it it was like psychedelics lsd shrooms uh some xanax to come down from the psychedelics Mm -hmm. then you know molly uh into coke into opiates which was the general trajectory I, i would say and then i got i wouldn't say i was like compulsively using until i was like 21 21 22 I graduated from ASU, uh, and I had a really good job offer through all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I moved to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, you know, now I have all this money. I'm alone. I found a drug dealer that had oxycodone, um, which was getting increasingly difficult to find mm-hmm. with the you know government cracking down on the opiate crisis. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that in San Francisco. I was traveling for work, and I would have to fly back and forth from San Francisco to Tempe. And the drug dealer I had in in Tempe, Arizona, uh, was selling fake Oxy. So I'm not sure how much you know about the drug sort of crisis we have going on. But a a really, really big issue is uh, these things called, I've heard them colloquial, you know, called as uh, Mexican perks. And it's just like fake oxycodone pills that, it's fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And so I'm flying back and forth, right? I was getting legitimate oxy in San Francisco and fake stuff here. And I, I remember after, you know, doing the drugs that I got in Arizona, going back to San Francisco and then doing those drugs and feeling nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, that is fentanyl. Like mm-hmm. there's no there's no other explanation. And so yeah. I don't remember the question, but I think that answer. I guess it. just what what sort of led up to to that to you doing that because I, I mean curiosity and yeah. and just increased like there were no consequences. Mm-hmm. If there's no consequences, then why wouldn't I? Right? right. Like 
I don't think any of what I'm about to say matters in an, like in a sense of makes me better than, but like I I like graduated with honors from the honors college mm-hmm. at ASU and like I got a great job offer all while doing hard drugs. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I think because actually this is a good question. My parents always said as long as I got good grades I could do anything. Mm-hmm. I wanted and and that kind of was just interpreted in a perhaps uh, maladaptive way. Okay, so you said that sort of the, the the turning point or the catalyst of like you need to change something was when you were getting ready to jump off a bridge and decided not to. What were sort of the steps that you that you took after that to actually get help or like try to alleviate yeah. the situation that you were in? So I would not get sober until a year after that. Okay. Um, but over the course of that year, it was first admitting that I had a problem, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I just said the consequences weren't there until I wanted to kill myself, right? Mm-hmm. It was my depression that ultimately brought me to my knees. The steps I took, uh, I, I went to a detox center. I got off of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I relapsed and then I went to an inpatient treatment center for a month, discharged, immediately relapsed. And then I went to that same inpatient center for almost 90 days. And after that, I finally kind of had the foundation I needed for, uh, continued recovery. Okay. And it hasn't been linear since then either, but, uh, yeah. It's been better. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I mean, congratulations on, on that, first of Thank all. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, getting self-conscious. Like, I hope I don't sound like I'm, like, glorifying any of this. It's it's just, it's it's been my journey, and it was fun at times, and obviously I'm I'm not doing fentanyl and oxy and all that anymore, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And, and so what was that like, like, being able to, to bring up to either your parents or your friends that this was an issue? Because uh, that's, I feel like for for anyone that would be like the most difficult thing to do um, yeah. for let's say like fear of fear of judgment or like what others think of you or so i think really wanting to like kill yourself like just changes a lot of things how you view things like mm-hmm. i i i didn't care so much after feeling that about what my family thought i i was a little scared i, I was embarrassed you know mm-hmm. but I think it was perhaps easier to do than a lot of people think just because I didn't want to feel that again, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. And so what was that experience like when you eventually, when you, I guess when your parents found out or like close friends that didn't know that about you found out? Well, everybody's like scared and some people pity you, you know, mm-hmm. and some people, you know, congratulate you and, and some people don't know how to react and it makes them really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and i guess i've never really thought about that so directly was it was it like helpful for you what the support that i had um i guess admitting it to other people i think it was necessary for me mm-hmm. i i i think i'm pretty socially awkward <laughs> and <laughs> I well, oh, I was gonna say like I mean just from getting to like re know you now like I would have never <laughs> thought that 
I, I'm I'm pretty okay in one-on-one situations, but in it's more group situations. Okay. I'm talking. I'm, about. I'm honestly the same way. Nice. And it just, it really depends on the group too. Like yeah. if you're if you're if like I'm with a group of people that like I might know like one or two people like it's and but they're all talking to like a bunch of other people. It's like harder to sort of insert yourself into the situation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like just sitting there like quietly listening, unless like people are more like inviting. Yeah, like they're like, "Hey, you, like, come over here and be my friend." <laughs> then you'll, then you'll, then you'll. Uh, oh yeah, then, the it's, words then it's relent. easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think one-on-one situations are, are also easier, just because I, I, I mean, I think people that just act differently. Yeah. Um, in that situation versus, you know, you have if you're in a group, there's more eyes on you. Uh, True. So it's like you've rarely to have like an organic experience where like you're with a group of like four or five friends and then you start talking about deep shit it's just it's just all kind of like surface level like whatever it is that you guys are doing like if you're watching a sports game you're like oh man they're getting clapped or whatever like that kind of stuff exactly Um, okay that's interesting I always like um so when I was like thinking about like your story like and sort of what I've seen on social media like it, it does seem that like you've you've made recovery and that was like one of the first questions I had in my mind is like, that's gotta be, I think it's gotta be really tough for like, just to admit that to not only yourself, but to other people that you care about as well. I want to be completely transparent about that. I, I like had nine months of pure sobriety back mm-hmm. when I went to that treatment center for three months. And then I started drinking and smoking a little bit again. And mm-hmm. then it, there's just been ups and downs in mm-hmm. the past three years since that. And, and I'm currently uh, coming off of a, an Adderall and Xanax addiction that I had. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i in a far better place than I was three years ago, and I've never gone back to wanting to kill myself, and for that I'm grateful. And that, to me, is recovery. In the recovery community, there are a lot of people that are, like, super gung-ho about, like, well, you're not in recovery if you're not, like, completely sober. And for for me... It's a process. It's it's a process, and I'm willing to give myself, like, the grace of, like, listen, it hasn't been perfect, but that's mm-hmm. okay. I just think when I'm rigid with things, it makes me want to break the rules, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, if I tell okay. myself, like, no, you can never do this ever again, mm-hmm. like, it becomes, like, this giant, like, I don't know, I'm imagining, like, a giant wall or mountain or something that I'm staring at that's, like, overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm, like okay, well, you can probably smoke weed and drink a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. it just, it offers flexibility for me. And then I don't go into like a shame spiral. Now, that's what works for me or what I think works for me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I just think that it's important to say that because, you know, addiction is a very, like, I mean, it's life or death for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point. I like that you brought up like the flexibility. Um, I've been I've been thinking about that idea a lot, but more in terms of like productivity, I guess. Um, so I'm very much I, I I talk about this with like a couple other people on on different podcast episodes too. But I'm also very much like perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Maybe I I seem that way. Maybe I don't. But like things need to be very much a certain way for in my life and for a long time uh i don't think i'm the only one that holds this belief but like when you whenever there's sort of like a a productivity or like hustle culture definitely around people our age where mm-hmm. it's like 
we I actually talked about this on on the last podcast episode with a friend that was here. Um, there's like the the culture of like, okay, you need to get up at three a.m., work out, read a book, take a shower, write a novel, all before seven a.m. <laughs> what do they have? They have those like uh, those three month challenges or something, yeah. right? Like, or just, I don't know. Yeah. I think I just think it's that's just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I I would always like all throughout high school, even up until like a like I say even this year. Um, have the idea that like you know at some point in the future everything's just gonna like come together and coalesce and everything's gonna be perfect and the way I want it because I'll have it figured out if I if I either spend enough time um, thinking about how I'm gonna get there or if I have a rigid schedule like this like if I have every single hour scheduled on my calendar then there's no way I could stray from that interesting and that doesn't in reality that doesn't happen it doesn't give any sort of flexibility to to life and life circumstances and when i when i kind of realized that it was not only like way more mentally alleviating but also um i ended up just getting more done and like actually doing the things that i wanted to do because it wasn't like it wasn't like an always like a a yes or no like this is this is how things are, are gonna be it's just like you have you just now have room to not only breathe, but to like work around it in whatever way is adaptable to you. I'm so happy that you're being nicer to yourself. (laughs) No, seriously. I think people like need to do that more. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think people are tough on themselves. Something else that you kind of mentioned uh, that we haven't really talked about yet. So like at the beginning of our discussion, you were also mentioning like in, in high school, not really seeing yourself fit in or having an identity and religion being kind of a, a pushing factor on that um maybe maybe not so much the the religion but it, i always think it's interesting to to sort of examine your behavior through like your your negative self-talk hmm. um and examining where that sort of negative self-talk comes from in what ways would you say that negative self-talk impacts like your decisions especially pertaining to drug use in the past i mean in tons of ways you know like mm-hmm. I'm not enough. I don't care if I die young. Mm-hmm. You know, I am ugly. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, there's this Albert Einstein quote that I really like. I, I don't think it's, I'm going to quote it perfectly. Like but the it's, goldfish? No, it's the most important decision a man makes is his perception of the world around him or something like that. Okay. And like, interesting. you know, I can, I, I have anxiety, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I very, very anxious in, in a lot of situations. It's, it's much better now and I've been working on it a lot, but you know, say say you get. I, I just actually had lunch with a friend, a really good friend, and 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 when I leave the conversation, my brain starts naturally going to negative bias, like oh she hated me, oh like she's thinking X Y Z negatively about me. Mm-hmm. But then now I can catch myself and almost immediately say no, we're really good friends. She's actually she she I've known her since birth, like she's like a sister to me, mm-hmm. and like she loves me. I love her, mm-hmm. right? So. It, it's. I think that's huge. It's it's huge, right? And mm-hmm. and it's it completely change. It ends the the negative dialogue I'm having with myself instantly. Mm-hmm. And then I folk I go back in the present moment and and come back to the podcast here with Gilbert, right? Like like <laughs> yeah. that's literally what just happened right before mm-hmm. coming here. And and so I think catching yourself in negative self talk is one of the most difficult yet essential practices of mm-hmm. of mindfulness and 
and maturity. <laughs> I agree. Um, where, I guess for you personally, where do you think that, that self-talk, negative self-talk uh, emanates from? Do you feel like it's from your friends or your parents or even Sikhism? I, I or think I guess it's, the, maybe the, the identity or idea of Sikhism? I think it's mostly from, from me. Okay. Um, my parents actually never uh, overtly put pressure on me to, to do anything. They, they never said, you have to be a doctor. They, they never said, you have to do anything. In fact, I, I remember my dad saying, you can do anything you want. You can even be a janitor. Just be the best janitor, you know? Like, mm -hmm. so, so, like, do your best at, at whatever you do. Mm -hmm. And so the negative self-talk, I think, really came... Actually, I know where it is. It's... Um, Growing up, I heard a lot of, you got potential. So, you know, I, I've just heard that, you know, from teachers, from my parents, from family, friends, blah, blah, blah. You, you have potential. I hate that. I hate it so much, <laughs> dude. It's, it's, and then you try to live up to it, right? And, yeah. And, and that's where the negative self-talk ultimately came from, I think. That's really interesting, because I, I completely relate to that. Like, I, I was, another thing that I was... Um, thinking about so i wanted to ask you questions about writing and like writing as therapy a little bit later mm -hmm. um but that's that's something i think about all the time is like or especially just recently like sort of where where does this self-talk come from D does it sound like anybody that i know or or people that i know or situations and and sort of where what where do like these different insecurities come from and i think for me too that was kind of like the same the same experience it's like i've been constantly underestimated my entire life and i'm trying to live up to it in some way and it's always just like you you have potential but it's like that's not really like a compliment it's no. like if you if you're saying you have potential it's just like you haven't met it yeah <laughs> yeah you haven't met it or you're not there or you're not you're not like enough you're not good enough yeah, yeah. How how do you think finding a creative identity has helped with uh, recovery and oh. uh, also redefining who you are as a person? Immensely, it's it's been the thing that's different this time around. Mm -hmm. So three years ago was all the whole fentanyl crap, the, mm -hmm. you know, all that. And it's funny a lot. There are a lot of parallels between what I'm going through currently and, and what I went through then. Mm -hmm. It's not quite as deep or intense which is why I'm in a much better place around a lot of it but the the thing that's changed I guess I suppose there's a lot of things that have changed but the, the a, a big thing that's changed is having this creative outlet okay when I write it's like I can write anything and and no one can question it no one can say it's wrong no one can no one can say that's bad no one can say you know they can just say I feel that mm -hmm. or I don't feel that you know like, that's, that's really all anyone can, in my opinion, say. Mm. I, I mean, whatever, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but, <laughs> like, like, you can't, it, it's, it's, it's not, you can't, it's not wrong. Whatever I write is not wrong. It's, it's what I was feeling, right? right? And, and I just think having a place for that really makes me feel safe. I've always loved music. I've listened to music obsessively since, I actually started listening to music pretty late. I didn't start listening to music until eighth, ninth grade. Okay. Um, but once I started, I've been hooked. My favorite rapper is Mac Miller. Mm -hmm. um, so is Keaton Landers. Really? Mm -hmm. I really need to hit up Keaton. <laughs> um, 
I like saw Mac five times live. Like I, I met him once. Like I feel like I've gone through a lot of the things he's gone through. You know what I mean? Like, and I know millions of people feel the same way. And I think that's what makes a good artist, somebody that can get people to to feel something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I actually used to think art was bullshit. Like, <laughs> if you, um, it's it's funny. I, I was on this networking call um, or or drinks. It was it was we were meeting for drinks. Um, it was probably my sophomore junior year in college, and it was this dude from like Deloitte, like some senior manager, like you know, networking, um, and. We started talking about art, and I, I straight up tell him, like, yeah, I, I don't understand it. Like, why do people spend millions of dollars? We were specifically talking about, like, paintings and stuff, and mm. I I get it now. It's just expression, and, and, like, what's popping up in my head also is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you, are you, like, so it's... It, that's, I, that's my, like, my number one all-time favorite really? concept in psychology. That's cool. I'm, like, obsessive over it. So for the people listening, right? Like it's 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 just like, you know, imagine a triangle and there's five layers to the triangle. I actually don't remember the middle three, but the bottom layer is essentially, you know, primary basic needs. Yeah. Like your your biological health needs, so like food, water, reproduction. Exactly. That, that kind of stuff. And then the top is self-actualization. Once the the bottom four layers are, are met, mm-hmm. you you can be self-actualized. And and so I interpreted that as true, you know, you can express yourself authentically. Like, that's that's when you can be Gilbert Sanchez or, or yeah. Gurkhar and Chitala. That's, like, that's kind of what Maslow actually writes in um, A Theory of Human Motivation, which is hmm. where he, I guess, presents that the whole idea to... Uh, I forget the exact quote, but actually, no, I think I have it in, in my phone. There's so many. i got to sort these better. Here we go. Hmm. Uh, a musician must make music, an artist must paint, a poet must write. If he is... To be ultimately happy, what a man can be, he must be. Got some, some goosebumps from <laughs> yeah. that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I can I completely agree. Um, something interesting, I think, uh, a, a sort of latent theme of what we've been talking about too, like a little bit with imperfection and just like it being a, sort of an ongoing process. I sort of see Maslow's hierarchy and needs as 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 sort of the same thing. So it's like you, if you think about it, like the hierarchy as something uh, in terms of like, or under a perfectionist lens, then it's just like, okay, I can't get to self-actualization until the bottom four are met. And, and so you might constantly be hard stuck in in one area of the, of the pyramid. Um, But in, I, I personally believe like it, it's not necessarily that, that set in stone. Um, that it is more of a process. So like from, from day to day, you might jump from having your, like needing to, you know, eat, just oh. have your biological needs. And then uh, you might go to uh, your, your esteem needs and then back down to. That's interesting. I've needs. never thought of it and like then, that. And just have it constantly be going up and down and up and down. That's cool. I, I love that. And I'm already incorporating it into my own worldview of things. And cool. Thank you. Cause no, absolutely. Like I'm now correlating it actually to when you get your paycheck. Yeah. Like things are lighter at the beginning if you're living check to check, right? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are in America, myself right now mm-hmm. I am. And like 
the first week's a lot easier. I probably feel more self-actualized that week, and the second week, stressors can start hitting. Oh, I, I do think, though, like... So a theory of human motivation is super archaic. Um, mm. Maslow wrote it in, like, the 40s or 50s. Um, it's free online, by the way, so you, and it's really short. It's only, like, 50 pages, if cool. that. But... It, it, it seems like just from reading it, is it, it makes sense in terms of like his view of like it probably is more like hard stuff because you also like if you think about it in a way like you're, you're not going to you're not going to prioritize making art if you're starving. No. Uh, or if, you know, unless you're crazy, which a lot of people <laughs> get to that point. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're if you're about to, you know, if you don't have money for rent, like you're not going to. Just be like, oh, or passionate. It doesn't have to be crazy, right? But anyway, true. Yeah, (laughs) if you're like, if you're like, you know, I I don't know what I'm gonna do for rent. Like, how am I gonna get this money? You're probably not gonna be like, let me just do my, do my. I mean, you might. I, I, you know, just I literally know people that enjoy being homeless that I've met in rehab, Uh and so it's just, yeah. That could also go into the idea of just like how you shape your your hierarchy too, because I think. In, in Maslow, so one of the, so it goes, it goes biological needs, safety needs, which is like your income, your job, having actual shelter, that kind of stuff. And then it moves, it moves from biological needs as a whole to psychological needs. Mm-hmm. And the next one uh, above your safety needs would be your steam needs. I personally see that as more of an area for social relationships, mm-hmm. whether that's romantic or, or through your family. Hmm. I don't know. I, I just see that as like such an important aspect of, of human life to where you could probably mesh in self-esteem needs with like your self-actualization also. Cause I mean, they're very similar in, in, in each way, but the, the, the whole point I'm kind of rambling. The whole point of it is like, I, I mean, I, I don't think it, you necessarily need to adopt every single Layer. stage of of it as it is as Maslow wrote it you can make it to whatever works for you so we I mean we did talk a lot about um negative self-talk and sort of like fear or judgment so how how do you go about combating fear or judgment when you're putting out like a a sort of creative work to the public especially on social media it's a good question um I usually end with fuck it in my head just click (laughs) I love that I love that uh because yeah i mean i i I think about the image i'm creating or or the narrative i'm putting out there for sure like you know if i post like a a poem that's more soft right or nice or or like Mm. something about like alleviating anxiety which which i i write kind of fairly often about because Mm. i like i said i have anxiety and and i'm writing often to my own inner child is kind of what's going on um but then I also have this drug addict inside of me that's, mm-hmm. you know, off the walls and and wants to rap about, you know, more vulgar things. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that make sense? You know, like, how does, right. how does uh, you know, it's just such a j- contrast. And, and, and so I, I often just end with, fuck it. Like, this is who I am. This is what I'm thinking. Uh-huh. I think, I mean, I think that's honestly like a, a great method to, to do. Because you could always get in your head about like this isn't good enough. This isn't, this isn't perfect. This isn't ready. This isn't whatever, but you just say, fuck it. Like you do it. And then, you know, more often than not, it's not as bad as you, you made it up to be in your head. Uh, do you do slam trope poetry too? I haven't. I really think I need to get into that, mm-hmm. but, uh, I haven't. Okay. 
Yeah, because that's a that's another question I had. Like, uh, I mean, I feel like with poetry, in addition to rapping, there's probably some sort of a, a middle ground between the two that is formulated into slam poetry. But I wasn't I wasn't sure if you if that was something you actually. This pursued. goes back to like just my not being comfortable in front of a camera okay. thing. <laughs> like, I. I've looked at certain, you know, on Instagram, there's there's people that do sort of slam poetry type things as mm-hmm. Instagram reels or on TikTok and, and stuff like that. And either you need to be good at making lyric videos to, to go along with what you've written, or you just need to be comfortable in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, one is more expensive than the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't have, you know, a ton of money to just like, throw it i i met a really a person i really like her her lyric videos mm-hmm. but i know the block is really just me being in front of a camera and 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 being in front of an audience again i know that i'll get to a fuck it point i was gonna say something like i was literally about to be like you know what you should say fuck it i i i know i will because I, I did a speech and debate in high school you know like uh-huh. I, i've been in front of yeah, plenty of crowds uh I, I gave a speech in front of like two three thousand people like i I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. I I just haven't gotten back to it yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's work in progress. Right? Yes, sir. <laughs> that's a, that's that's actually really interesting because, like, for me, the fear would be. I mean, it still kind of is being in front of a camera. Like, I started streaming recently, and it's like weird. But it, it got. I had to get to the point where I was just like, "Fuck it!" Like, it, it is what it is. Like, who, who's like. Who's gonna even see this? Like you know, mm-hmm. you don't have that many followers to begin with. But it's like it gets it gets easier once you, like I said, once you start and you're like, oh, this isn't as bad as I made it out to be in my head. Thank but you. But I just think I think it's like super interesting because you're saying that like, you know, you did speech and debate. You had to you know publicly speak in front of a cl- a crowd, and for me, that's what that's what I would be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I don't know if I would be able to do that. But being in front of the camera, it's just like, hey, what's up? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's I think, interesting. I just think that, yeah, yeah I think that is weird. interesting. Um, huh. Because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that you would be, I, or like, uncomfortable in front of a camera or in front of a microphone, especially because that you're doing creative things. But I, I say that sort of hypocritically because, like, even though I'm doing this, like, when you got here, I was nervous, too. Mm. When I, whenever I turn on the camera to, to stream something, I'm nervous. Uh, whenever I put out something in the public eye i'm super nervous and super self-conscious about it but i wonder if that changes ever like for you know even even people with millions of followers or whatever Mm -hmm. like if they get like a slight level of nervousness probably a little bit i would i would imagine but maybe i just need to have somebody on and ask them that would be cool (laughs) okay so with with writing too um What's something that's different for you when you're writing in public, like for if you're posting it on social media versus writing for yourself privately? Like, how do you see your writing changes, if at all? So there are differences for sure. I I, I would say most of my writing is for public these days. Okay. I I use personal writing when I get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. If I'm not sure what direction I want to go, then I write down everything that I'm worried about, no matter how insecure looking or petty. Um, 
it's often in shorthand, you know, disjointed, like mm -hmm. none of it makes sense by anybody except me. Mm -hmm. um, vulnerability, transparency, these things are, I would say they're things I'm like trying to champion or like, you know, to, to, to show via action, right? Mm -hmm. We all know they're important, but obviously not sharing 100% of myself. Like it, mm. it, there's parts that I keep just for myself and, and for my close inner circle. Okay. So when you're, when you're sharing uh, personal details about yourself, like on social media, like what, what's sort of the thought process of that? Like, how do you, like now knowing that the, that you're trying to do so uh, to show vulnerability, um, where do you, I guess, where do you sort of draw the line? Where, well, a with, lot like, of sharing personal details. It's just like what feels right. It's like, am I comfortable sharing this? Mm -hmm. And if I'm comfortable, then I suppose there's a secondary check of, well, down the line, is this something that I want to be out there? Mm -hmm. And then if I go too far down with that thought process, that's when I lean heavily on the fuck it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, no, this isn't part of what I want to put out there. Like, I actually recorded a song that I just haven't released. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the name of the song is Fuck You. And and I didn't release Hell it yeah. because it wasn't the it wasn't the energy that I wanted to put out there. You know, like mm -hmm. it, it, it's it, it didn't make sense with the image that I was kind of at least my perception of the image that I was putting out there. Okay. And so I don't know. That's like an example of, of something. That that's it. That's an interesting idea, too. So your your idea of the image that's out there is that. Would you say like your your artistic image is is a separate entity from like you and your personal journey, or is it yeah? One and the I same? think that it it can't be one and the same inherently if I'm not a hundred percent vulnerable or transparent. Which there's some things I don't want my mom to read. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and that's kind of actually that's that's funny. That's that's a pretty good litmus test. If if I'm comfortable telling this to my mom, <laughs> then I'm comfortable putting it out there. Is, okay. is maybe a fairly some easy easy way to slice it. Why choosing rapping versus any other type of music style? I like that question. Uh, I've just always liked rap, and and rap is rhythm and poetry. I my little brother told me okay. that. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, that's how, it, uh, sorry to interrupt, no. but like, that's, um, my part of like the recent discovery with like pop. It's not, it's not an acronym. It's just short for popular music. So you don't, Oh, you don't, I didn't know that. You don't make pop music. You become pop music. That's cool. I don't know. Just, I hope I become pop music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, uh, so this whole creative journey started back in April. Um, of this year when I went to Laguna Beach alone. I love Laguna Beach. I love the energy around there. It's a beautiful beach. A lot of people think it's super bougie. It is, but <laughs> I don't focus on that. Maybe just being around Scottsdale people for a large majority of my life. I, it's easy to phase that out or zone it out. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I bring this up because when I first started posting on Instagram, I was just trying to re-socialize myself or, or get comfortable again with sharing who I am on social media. I had like a really deep resentment in social media for like three years where I thought everything on it is fake and people are just trying to, you know, put their best foot forward and it creates like this just distorted vision of, of life and all that. 
I mean, I think I think that's very highly accurate. I I I, I don't think it's inaccurate, but I also <laughs> believe things are what we focus on. So, you know, if we focus on just that piece of social media, then that's all social media becomes. True. Okay. Yeah. But there's a pro and con to everything, mm-hmm. and and there's power in in the internet and social media, you know, it brings people together as well. And so I wanted to get comfortable putting myself out there again and try and focus on that other piece initially. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I came up with this 90 posts in 90 days challenge that I wanted to, 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 to make myself go through. Mm-hmm. It was inspired by Alcoholics Anonymous. Actually, they, they say in your first 90 days of recovery, you should go to 90 meetings. Um, and, and it's just, rooted in principles of habit, you know, going to the gym, working out, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. So I did the 90 and 90. That was kind of like the intention. I didn't do 90 posts. I did 78 posts in the first 90 days. And I just saw patterns in, in what I felt like writing and sharing. Like, you know, that's that's a lot of sharing, you know. Yeah. It, it, I didn't wake up every morning and know what I was going to post, you mm-hmm. know. Like, it was, it just sort of came up organically. So my first 78 posts on Instagram I think are very different than everything after that. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Between the Soup. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, you can reach out to betweenthesoup.pod on Instagram to let me know what your thoughts were on the discussion. If you didn't like it, you should definitely let me know what your thoughts were so that way I can improve the show. Uh, Thanks again so much. Uh, It means a lot that you're tuning in.